Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Zacks. Ethan, I think the Discord broke M20 this week. We are crushing it as a community. I mean, who's surprised? I feel like War of the Spark was pretty astounding, but they set the bar so high and they did it again. It's really incredible, and I feel so grateful to have fostered and be a part of that community. I agree completely. It really feels like we've got sort of a testing team thing going on. I was sort of wondered what that would feel like, and we've just got this testing team of 500 people that are working together, 500 plus people. There's what? We have like 600, 700 some patrons now? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It feels good to be Ethan and Ben at the moment. How are you? I'm doing well. I am in the process. I, I guess I haven't officially announced this on the podcast. I got a new job, so I'm in the process of moving, and I start my new job in a week. I'm moving a couple hours north to be the head band director at Greenwood High School, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> no more small town Indiana. Yeah, I'm very, very happy for you and very excited for this next chapter in your life, buddy. Yeah, as you said, end of an era. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's going to be really sweet for you, I think. All right. Well, we've got a lot to dive into. Discord broke M20. We're going to try and relay as much of that information as possible for you this week. Speaking of the Discord, Ben, you know how you get in that Discord? The Lords of Limited Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. And at the start of the format, it is the place to be. I can't think of a better resource on the internet. I mean, beyond our show, beyond any content, that like 24-7 tech support for your drafts via the Patreon Discord is where you want to be. Uh, so any level of patronage via the Patreon gets you access to that Lords of Limited Discord. We have some higher tier donations as well. We unlocked a stretch goal recently, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But of course, uh, everyone who joins via the Patreon, we want to make sure we shout them out each and every week on the show. And we have some folks to welcome this week. We want to welcome Nathan, Zachary, Josh, Kevin, Jennifer, Nicholas, Dennis, Jose, Christopher, Benham, Manifix, Vacris, Benjamin, Brian, Matthew, Morrow, Quack, Grant, Soar, Brandon, Lionel, Jay, David, Joe, and do not shout out this name. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. The Discord is absolute fire. Just the discussion and the level of discourse that goes on in the big picture channel, the card evaluation channel at the start of the format is top notch. I think it rivals anything that testing teams are doing, and I could not be more proud of everything that's going on in Discord. So thank you to everyone that has helped figure it out M20. I mean, I can't think of a better time than now to shout out the folks from our Discord who are atop the trophy leaderboard on MTGO. Yeah, we've got a few of them up there. Beers SC, Vivale, Quarter Calls is Black Keys 260, 
DC Sports 8, Zach Dubin, Jason Yi 4273 is Jason ILTG. I'm up there as well. And we've got a couple other folks that are just hanging off the top of the leaderboard page. Yeah, pretty incredible. I was just like looking at it the other day and I saw like six names I recognized. I was like, well, I am going to highlight these and I'm going to tweet this out because this is incredible. I mean, this is two formats in a row and I expect this to sort of be the standard for us moving forward. I think like it's sort of a like, I don't know, chicken and egg thing, but like I think our show is attracting those kinds of people and those kinds of people want to get into the discord. And then that discord is just continuing to like grow and become greater than the sum of its parts. And it's producing all of these people at the top of the leaderboard. Well, and I think we're pushing each other to get better too. I mean, just getting to talk to other players that are invested in limited as much as you are is really, really cool. And it's not something prior to starting the podcast that I really had a chance to do. And it's, it's very special. Yeah. I'm in the middle of writing uh, my card sphere article for my first like M20 article for them. And one of the things I'm talking about is because hashtag spoiler, I am not doing super well in this format at the start i am not reaping the rewards of the discord just yet um but one of the things i talk about is like how important it is to be able to go and seek out like consume as much content as possible and talk to people who are your peers and who are better than you and that is the surefire number one way to get better just take other people's advice yeah could not agree more our show is now also brought to you by coalesce apparel and design magic's newest apparel company and even more importantly than our show being brought to you by them they are now fully stocked with Lords of Limited t-shirts. On the front is the Lords of Limited logo. On the back, you get to choose your side, hashtag I'm with Ethan or hashtag I'm with Ben. While you're on your way over to coalesceapparel.shop to pick up your Lords of Limited t-shirt, we also have a gift code for you as well. That's L-O-L, all capital letters, Lords of Limited abbreviation, L-O-L, all capital letters, and that will give you 10% off on your order, which will apply to all apparel on the website, not just our t-shirt. I just hopped on over there on the first day. I got myself a little medium. I'm with Ben. I got my wife a little extra small. I'm with Ethan. I'm really excited for those to arrive any day now. Yeah, I placed my order a couple days ago for my hashtag I'm with Ethan shirt. And I'm looking forward to sporting it and supporting you and the podcast. Yeah, I think they'll be making their maiden voyage when we're out in GP Las Vegas, which I also wanted to announce. We've sort of been like teasing this on Twitter and on Discord, but I wanted to announce officially on the show, get people hyped and also get some advanced interest for our first ever live recording of the podcast is going to be happening at GP Las Vegas on Friday, August 23rd at the Las Vegas Marriott. It's like just across the street from the convention center. It's going to be really sweet. We'll do a little meet and greet, do a live recording, do maybe some live Q&A sort of thing. We haven't quite figured out the, the super details, but stay tuned and please let us know if you are interested in coming. And maybe jamming some drafts afterwards. Oh, baby, for sure. All right, Ben, uh, let's let's get the the dirty out of the way here. Let's check in on the trophy leaderboard and then let's let's dive into maybe a round table to springboard our discussions this week. Yeah, so I've been doing pretty well in the format. I'm 13 drafts deep. I have a 31 and 7 overall record, 7 trophies, and an 82% win rate. I am 14 drafts deep, 23 and 17, 3 trophies, a 58% win rate. And if we check in on M20 Arena Sealed, you and I both had a chance to participate in Watsi's sponsored like pre-release streamer event. I did 4.5 Seals that day. 22 and 11 overall record for a 66% win rate. Yeah, I did only two sealed and then like draft went live and I did a couple of those. Uh, so I was 10 and six in those for a 63% win rate. Yeah, sealed was sort of whatever for me. There were some good games, but I, I didn't love it. It was best of one sealed too. So like it sort of takes the fun out of a lot of what sealed has to offer in my opinion. Um, and especially this format, I'm, best of three seems like the way to go. Yeah, especially with all the sideboard protection cards, etc. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Mr. Trophy over here, maybe you can show me what the start of a trophy draft looks like with uh, one of your draft logs. 
Yeah, I would be glad to. Are you ready to take a seat at the round table? I don't know. I'm a little scared, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get my footing here. Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. No great common standing out. There's a woodland champion, one in a green for the 2-2, when one or more tokens enters a battlefield under your control. Put that many plus one, plus one counters on woodland champion. Season of growth, one in a green for the enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. Whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you control, draw a card. And your rare, Dracoseth, Maw of Flames, four red, red, red for the 7-7 seven, seven flyer. And when it attacks, essentially you win the game. It deals four damage to any target and three damage to each of up to two other targets, as if a 7-7 seven, seven flyer weren't enough. Yeah, I mean, Dracoseth is absurd. This is exactly when you want to take him, pack one, pick one, so you can make sure you can sort of like soft force red to make sure that's your base color so the triple red isn't as obnoxious. So I would slam dunk pick that here. Yeah, but I was not super confident about this pick. This was my second draft overall in the format. So I was mm. looking at this pack and I was like, is Dracoseth really castable in draft? How fast is the format? I don't know. The format is definitely slow enough that you can happily cast seven drops even without ramping towards them, really. Yeah. So Dracoseth slam dunk here. Moving on to pack one, pick two. You see the following cards as options. Mammoth Spider, four and a green for the three, five reach. Gorging Vulture, two and a black for the 2-2 Flyer. When ETBs put the top four cards of your library into your graveyard, you gain a life for each creature card put there this way. Frost Links, two and a blue for the 2-2. When ETBs tap target creature and opponent controls, that creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Destructive Digger is the best red card in the pack. Two and a red for the 3-2. Three tap, sacrifice an artifact or land, draw a card. I really like that guy. He's sort of like the two and a black 2-3 that you could pay three and sacrifice a creature, a planeswalker from War of the Spark. Fills sort of a similar space in your red decks to help you avoid flood. There's Scuttlemutt, three mana for the 2-2. Tap to add one mana of any color and tap. Target creature becomes the color of your choice until the end of the turn. And your rare is Bishop of Wings, white, white for the 1-4. Whenever an angel enters the battlefield under your control, you gain four life. And whenever an angel you control dies, create a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. So one of the big things that I have been taking away from you, and I've been doing a pretty good job, I think, of like trying to watch your streams or your VODs and catch up with what you're doing on Twitter and Discord because you've been having success. And I just like really want to like pick your brain about stuff and and see where our, our differences is. And I, I think I'm learning that maybe the differences aren't in draft and maybe they're more in deck building or gameplay. But you tweeted out one of uh, your sort of like first impressions of the format. And I kind of want to let you regurgitate that here. Like what are your rankings of what you're looking to do in M20? Yeah, so big picture, I'm thinking premium removal first and then powerful synergy second. And both of those things are a little more important than card advantage. And then past card advantage, nothing else really matters. So the three things I really care about are premium removal, synergy, card advantage, card filtering, ways to mitigate flood, ways to get ahead on cards. So if we look at this pack, it's like fairly weak. We don't have any premium removal. We don't really have any like hard synergy. You know, Frostlinks is an elemental. Maybe there's some graveyard shenanigans with Gorging Vulture, but like nothing that really goes with Dracoseth, right? So I think Frostlinks, not only is it a, a powerful, flexible card, but it has synergy not only with elementals, but also in a sort of tempo based strategy if that's either blue black or blue red or whatever um so i think that fits the bill here but this is a pretty weak second pack yeah the two cards that stand out to me are frost links and scuttlemutt and i think destructive digger i've come up on quite a bit since this second draft so that would sort of be in contention a little bit more here for me as well but i still think scuttlemutt and frost links are better than it scuttlemutt keeps you flexible and helps you ramp towards dracoseth which is not nothing i could honestly see the pick being scuttlemutt here now but in the heat of the moment i landed on frost links is what i saw it was the best card in the pack cool moving on to pack one pick three you see the following cards as options 
Winged Words, two and a blue for the sorcery, draw two cards, and it costs one less to cast if you control a creature with flying. Pacifism, one and a white, enchant creature, enchanted creature can't attack or block. Gift of Paradise, two and a green, enchant land, when ETBs you gain three life. Enchanted land has tap, add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. Agonizing Siphon, three and a black for the sorcery, deals three damage to any target and you gain three life. Another Scuttlemutt, Overcome, three green green for the sorcery, creatures you control get plus two plus two and gain trample until end of turn. And one of my favorite uncommons in the set, Blood for Bones, three and a black sorcery as an additional cost to cast the spell, sacrifice a creature, return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, then return another creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So my second sealed deck during the arena event had Scholar of the Ages and Blood for Bones in it. And it was this like blue black super recursion like loop thing. I mean, we'll get into this later, but there are a bunch of like sort of infinite value loops that you can generate. And Blood for Bones is like the crux of those. That card is so impressive to me, does so much more than I thought it did, is really nice in conjunction with the Vulture at Common. I think that's like top of the heap there for me. I think that sort of fits the bill for, I mean, if we're looking at premium removal versus uh, synergy, I think it's, we're looking at Blood for Bones versus Pacifism here. And I don't know if I would have it, have it in me to pass up on Blood for Bones. Yeah, I took Pacifism when I was doing this draft. My opinion has since changed. This was my second draft, as I said earlier. I would now be on Blood for Bones as what I think is the most powerful card in the pack and still be trying to find my lane. Following that, I'd be on Winged Words over Pacifism. I've been really impressed by that card. I think Divination's good in the format. When you get to cast this for two mana, it feels absolutely busted. And Pacifism, while good does leave creatures on the battlefield. And I found there are a lot of creatures with activated abilities that you really need to be able to get off of the battlefield. Also, white is atrocious in this format. Also, white is atrocious in this format. Poor white. It's like the third format in a row. It's so it feels so bad because it feels like it's given all these like aggro creatures or aggro cards, but like none of the real support for that. I don't know. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. I promise we're not white haters. It really is the worst color. Green is getting a bump. Green is no longer towards the bottom of the heap with white green is good in this set yeah moving on to pack one pick four you see the following cards as options there's another winged words there's an unsummoned single blue for the instant return target creature to its owner's hand a pack mastiff one in a red for the two two one in a red each creature you control named pack mastiff gets plus one plus oh until end of turn and a herald of the sun four white white for the four four flyer and the activated ability three and a white put a plus one plus one counter on another target creature with flying so I think Herald of the Sun is better than I initially thought it was. And I think that just has to do with the format being slower than I thought it would be. But I'm not interested in taking a white six drop here, especially with us having Dracoseth. Now we have one of the best red commons in Pack Mastiff and one of the like good two drops that scales with the game. So I think that's the pick here for me. Yeah, I think Pack Mastiff is good here. I would actually if I had gone if I had gone Dracoseth into Frostlinks into Blood for Bones, I still think I'd probably be on Pack Mastiff just because I really want to play Dracoseth, but I think yeah. Winged Words is much better than Pack Mastiff. I could see it being the pick here, honestly. You think Winged Words is much better than Pack Mastiff? I do. Winged Words is my second best blue common, and I think it's in the top five commons overall. I think it's number five. It's really, really powerful. Dang, that's awesome. And then the draft sort of rounded out. I picked up some more red cards, got deep into red in pack one, and ended up settling into blue-red and going 2-1, I believe losing in the finals, but that might not be true. You always lose in the finals that's that's your mo when you're when you're two one it's a it's a finals loss i'm sure I, I track it we can find out hang on one second that's what the people need to know i did not lose in the finals i lost to a, a very good blue black deck with bombs that's what my notes say <laughs> i think that was in round one now that i'm remembering all right well good so now we know that this deck was terrible yep um all right so 
Today, we're going to do things a little differently here. Ben did the bulk of the work here this week. He has outlined almost all of our show notes with his thoughts on what he's having success with, what he feels like the Discord did to break M20. And I'm just going to sort of facilitate this. We're going to treat it like uh, Ben's sort of a guest on on the podcast this week. And I'm going to let him sort of take the reins and I'm going to chime in and pipe in when I feel is necessary, but I'm going to really let him just sort of vomit out as much information as he can. So let's take it away, Ben. Is this format prints or poppers? This is a pretty clear popper for me. I think the commons are really pushed. You know, think Cloudkins here. That's two and a blue for the two one flyer. When ETBs, you draw a card. Murders at common. One black, black instant. Destroy target creature. Silverback Shaman in green. Three green, green for the five four trample. When it dies, you draw a card. There are some really, really, really strong commons. And a lot of the decks revolve around synergy that exists in the commons and uncommons. There are some stupid, stupid things you can do in this format with just commons and uncommons. Now, when you talk about synergy, and and please let me know if I'm jumping the gun, and we're going to get to this a little bit later. When you're talking about synergy, are you talking about sort of like broad things that are overarching the entire deck? Or are you talking about having these little... I love this phrase, pockets of synergy between a couple cards or, or three cards here and there. So I think there's two decks that are really broadly synergistic. I think elementals, blue-green elementals, and sometimes red-green elementals, but I think that one's a little less focused than blue-green elementals. And blue-white flyers, those two are sort of a synergy deck a la slivers or something like that, where you're just trying to get as many cards that say elemental or as many cards that say flying on them in blue-white. But past that, it's really pockets of synergy or like cards that do stupid stuff when put in combination with each other, like sacrifice outlets with Moldervine Reclamation, which is the three black green enchantment that when a creature you control dies, you gain a life and draw a card. That's been busted powerful. Or stuff like looping scholar of the ages which is the five blue blue three three when it etbs you return up to two instant or sorcery cards from your graveyard of your hand you can loop that a bunch of different ways with pulse of marasa with soul salvage with unsummon so things like that are more pocket ish type stuff of synergy but when those cards come together and you get that thing going it's near unbeatable sweet and where are you at in terms of number of lands you're including in your deck I still have not played 16 lands in this format. I've always been either 17 or 18. Sometimes you need 18 if you've got a lot of mana sinks or colored sources. And I'm much happier running 18 if I have a lot of card draw, if I have a lot of winged words or card filtering. You know, I've got a few Keldon Raiders or I've got ways to loot. Like Bag of Holding is a rare that's cost one mana, two tap, loot. And when you discard the card, you discard it, you essentially extend it into exile in your bag of holding and then you can pay four tap sack bag of holding and get back all the cards you discarded so that's a huge card advantage engine so once i have those things i'm much happier going towards 18 i have never found myself wanting 16 but i've also not played much white which i think is the most aggressive color and i think there could be white beatdown decks where you want 16 lands i just have not had a chance to draft those yet. Yeah, my corner turning, I think, is like I'm on the precipice of it a little bit. And part of that has been in realizing this is a slower format and that getting to like your three drops, four drops, five drops is more important than like, I don't know. I, I'm not crazy about building good curves and I'm interested to hear where you're at uh, on that a little bit later. But I, I feel like 18 lands more often than not, I'm happy with. And that's partially because white doesn't have it, but all the other four colors have ways to either like loot rummage or just get actual card advantage or like impulse for a creature on the brightwood trackers like all of those colors have ways at common 
to generate card advantage. And often those are through mana sinks. Right. But I think you need to make sure you get those and you put them in your deck. So flood, I think, is definitely a problem if you don't build your decks correctly. And my very first draft in the format, I O2'd because I had no way really to draw cards. I was blue black and I just ended up like we my opponent and I mashed some creatures into each other at the start of the form at the start of the game, which I think is a pretty common occurrence. My, my decks have been very creature heavy in this format. I think that's one of the defining features of the format. And after we got done creature mashing, like they had a couple ways to draw extra cards or filter their draws. And I just lost because I ran out of gas. And I was like, okay, that's the end of that. I got to make sure I prioritize card advantage. So we're sort of teasing this a little bit. So we might as well talk about it. What do you think the format's speed is? I would characterize it as medium slow. I think you can't afford to do nothing in the early turns. Like this isn't tap land, tap land, tap land, play a four drop, but your two drops that you do play, and I don't think you should play very many, do need to matter late. Like you're not running two twos just to get on board like you were in War of the Spark. It's not that important to get on board. You want your two drops to be like Leafkin Druid, the one and a green 03 that taps for a green. And if you have four creatures can tap for double green or stuff like Pack Mastiff, the one in a red 2-2 that can has smoke breathing, Lords of Limited patent pending <laughs> for each other Pack Mastiff you control. Like Pack Mastiff is my most drafted common right now because it's a good two drop and it scales well into the late game. Yeah, I feel like one of the biggest level ups here for me in this format was realizing that cards like Moreland Inquisitor or Centaur Courser were just like so medium filler and that I just didn't need them. Like I, I felt like the format wasn't fast enough that I needed to make sure that these I was playing these like just vanilla two twos and three threes because one, it feels like there's good creatures that have high toughness. Like there's one threes and two threes and two fours floating around, but also that like those cards just get blanked so fast that by the time, even if I like curved out with them, you know, I could get my opponent down to whatever 13, 11 life, but then they would sort of stabilize and I'd be left with these cards that either were on the battlefield and were blanked or that then were top decks and were blanked. So I, I really started to veer away from anything like that. That was like, if this is bad even when I like play it on turn two, essentially, I don't want it in my deck. Right. So and you and I had been talking about Battalion Foot Soldier, which is the white collect them all, the two and a white two two that lets you search up other copies of Battalion Foot Soldier. Mm -hmm. And what you were just talking about right there, that's why I don't think Battalion Foot Soldier is very good, because it just gets blanked so easily. As soon as your opponent has one two four, all of your battalion foot soldiers are done. Or as soon as they have their first netcaster spider, all your battalion foot soldiers are blanked. And it's just so easy to invalidate all those cards. So let me ask you this. Uh, <laughs> this is sort of spoiling things. We were talking about this earlier that, you know, raise the alarm is a card that we have a pretty big delta on. And I'm sure that I'm just wrong about it, but I'm still, it's one that I'm like really trying to wrap my head around and I just can't quite get there because I think I really figured out, well, Moreland Inquisitor is bad, but raise the alarm feels like a similar card that I don't want. And I feel like your argument was like, well, in the go wide decks, it's good, but isn't the battalion foot soldier good in the go wide decks because it provides them a source of like card advantage like i'll say i had like four of them in a black white deck and i was really happy with them like being able just how i felt about like legion conquistador in random blue white decks that didn't care about vampires i was just like ooh, this is just like a draw three or a draw four or whatever so i think raise the alarm two bodies instant speed two mana and it, once your opponent sees it or doesn't play around it, they can potentially attack good X1s into it mm -hmm. and or at least have to respect it. I think the 2-2 two -two that the collect them all, the battalion foot soldier, just takes too long to get too many bodies on the battlefield. You really want to be like an aggro tokens deck. And I mm -hmm. think that's more of a grindy go wide kind of deal. Yeah. So, so maybe, maybe it's more of like a black white gold card. I, I don't quite know. I'm still trying struggling to figure out like what the best 
white decks are, but I think I need to stay away from them for now to to try and feel like I've got a good hold on this format first. Yeah, that makes sense. I think this is definitely, as far as format speed, a divination type format. Winged Words has felt good without any flyers. And as soon as you get your first flyer and you cast it for two mana, you just feel like a million bucks. You feel like you can't lose the game. It's really, really powerful. Moving that up to my second best blue common was a big turning point for me. And I think the other thing that really makes the format slow is there are really grindy loops with just 100% complete late game inevitability that you can set up with only commons and uncommons, such as Scholar of Ages. You know, that, again, that's the five blue, blue, three, three, lets you rebuy two instants and sorceries. As soon as you've got that and a pulse of Marassa, two and a green instant return target creature or land from your graveyard to your hand, gain six life, you're looping instantly. Or soul salvage two in a black return two creatures you just get this value engine or blood for bones same thing you sack a creature you return your scholar rinse and repeat and once you start doing that and rebuying a murder along with it your opponent just has no chance whatsoever in the game and then i think there's also these core value engines like moldervine reclamation the three black green when a creature dies draw a card lose a life that was one both you and i were like eh, i don't know in the crash course yeah i think we ended up giving it like a build around d plus or something most of those awkward looking cards that are like if you put them on quadrant theory just don't pass the quadrant theory test a lot of those cards ended up being pretty good because there are ways to just grind out value over the course of the long game and the games do go long the tools are really there to make the games go long well and i think another problem in terms of like card evaluations that i at least had was that not only is this a corset so the immediate comparison I make is to M19, where the best deck in that format was this like red, white, go wide aggro deck, where there were a bunch, we sort of had a similar situation with a bunch of tap lands in that format too, but it was like not a splash format at all. And I think this format lends itself much more to splashing. And I don't know if that has to do with just the difference that these tap lands gain a life or not. Um, but so you've got that comparison. And then you're also coming off of formats like War of the Spark or Modern Horizons that feel like on face value, like they're much more complex than this. And so then you look at this and you're like, well, this is not as complex as that. So this is probably just going to be more of a like curve out beat down format. And it, there's much, much more going on. And it didn't take long for me to reevaluate cards like Scholar for the Ages or Moldervine Reclamation. But on their face, I was like, these just seem too slow for what I feel like a core set is generally trying to do. Right. I've actually been in danger of decking a few times. So Loaming oh, yeah. Shaman, the, the two and a green three, two that lets you shuffle any number of cards from your graveyard into your library. That's been super real to help you not deck. So I think that definitely has a place in the format. And then one of the other huge things that I think slows the format down is that green is actually good in this format and Netcaster Spider, which is the two and a green two, three that with reach that when it blocks creature with flying gets plus two plus O oh, and Mama Spider, the four and a green three, five reach. Both of those are so good at brick walling the flyers and clogging up the board that you either just end up with creatures mashing into each other and trading a bunch or the board totally stalls out. And there's also just a ton of incidental life gain floating around. And that was one of the things we noted in HOU was that when there is this incidental life gain, the format slows down. And I think that's borne itself out to be true here in M20 as well. Mm -hmm. That being said, aggro decks do exist. And I think they're primarily white and really want to go wide with raise the alarm plus inspired charge, which is the two white white instant that gives all your creatures plus two plus one until end of turn and if you're not doing that i think you're in trouble one of those two things you really want to be a go wide aggro tokens deck or you want to be one of these grindy late game decks that really tries to go over the top yeah it seems like red white is it's really turned the corner here and might be the worst deck in this format because like blue white i think white is fine in blue white skies i think it, white green is probably a better home for the go wide than white black though i think that white black 
could be totally fine. But just I, I think you really need to make sure the plan is super clear with white and you can't just be like, I'm drafting good cards in white and this other color. That's just not going to do it for you. Because there aren't good and because there aren't good cards in white. Boom. No. Roasted. Totally roasted. I feel bad for Master Splicer. Yeah, Master Splicer just is gonna get splashed in all my green decks. Yeah, sure. I guess that's fine. Or I wanna you splash it in like that's a perfect card to like bounce with Unsummon or like recur with Soul Salvage. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we touched on this a little bit, your sort of like synergy, greater than card advantage, greater than everything else deal. Any, anything else you wanted to touch on with, with this uh this little package? Yeah, that's been my guiding principle for the format ever since my first two draft. And I think it's really given a context to my picks and my plans. And if you follow that, I think you tend to end up in blue and green a lot, which is good because I think blue and green are the best colors. And I would add to that that I don't think your deck necessarily needs to be doing anything super fancy as long as you have ways to two for one, draw cards or mitigate flood. Like a Kelden Raider goes a long way in your aggressive red decks towards making sure you don't just draw seven or eight lands, which is the two red, red, four, three. And when it ETBs, you can rummage. So just to give a little more context to premium removal, I think the tier one of removal is murder, rabid bite, shock, and Chandra's outrage. Those four removal spells. Tier two, I think, is agonizing siphon and pacifism. And then past that, sleep paralysis and reduced ashes are just sort of begrudgingly playable. And past that, there's not tons of removal in the format. There's not a lot of uncommon removal floating around. Most of the removal exists at common, and I think you have to pick it pretty highly. Yeah, I mean, we're talking uh, in the show notes about like where Agonizing Siphon sits. That's the sort of Lightning Helix variant that's in black, the three and a black deal three, gain three. Um, and the thing about that card is so funny, and it's so hard to not make these comparisons, is that in M19, we had Strangling Spores, which was three and a black instant target creature gets minus three minus three until end of turn and i was really low on that card and then eventually came up a little bit on it in like blue black control decks but i just felt like the rate on it was so bad especially because that format was faster and you were trading down on mana here the incidental life gain is so good i don't really care that it's sorcery speed it kills a lot of utility things too you know there's a lot of value small creatures that are floating around that it kills like that that sort of context dependent thing is so interesting that a card like agonizing siphon like really goes up and up and up in this format and i find myself valuing it more and more because i'm so hungry for as much removal as possible it feels like modern horizons in a way where all you wanted to do was make sure you had ways to interact with your opponent to either break up their huge synergies like kill their elemental lord or their risen reef or whatever or to like kill their like little pockets of synergy like be able to disrupt their scholar loops or anything like that yeah that makes sense to me and then as far as powerful synergy, just to give that a little bit of context, that would include things like, you know, Risen Reef Elemental deck would go in pow powerful synergy or the Empyrean Eagle Blue White Flyers deck. Those are like obvious in your face synergies. But I think past that stuff like looping with Scholar of the Ages or Mask of Immolation, there's a lot of things you can do with that. That's super underrated right now. I think it's one red for the artifact. And when it ETBs, you make a one one elemental creature token and attach the equipment to it. And the equipment has equipped creature has sacrificed this. It deals one damage to any target. There's plenty of things to do with that, whether it's turning on your ogre siege breaker so that you can kill your opponent's thing or elemental synergy with the mask of immolation or sacrifice stuff with active treason. It makes cards around it better. Or sacrificing a sedge scorpion to just create your own doom blade. Ooh, yeah, I haven't had the pleasure of doing that one yet. 
And I think there's also a lot of stuff going on with Moldervine Reclamation as a card or just things with the graveyard in black green. So once you start sacrificing stuff with Moldervine Reclamation, that pays you back and draws you cards and then you blood for bones and you sacrifice a creature and you get back a creature back on the battlefield. You draw a card off Moldervine Reclamation. There, there just comes a point in the game where what you're doing with these two to three card combinations becomes unbeatable. So we're coming off two formats here in War of the Spark and Modern Horizons where it felt like Grixis was king. But it looks like the uh, wedge has shifted to Sultai for this format. Would you agree? Yeah, I think green, black, blue, black, and blue, green are the three best decks in the format. And I think the reason is all three of those decks have complete late game inevitability and the tools to make sure they don't lose the earlier mid game thanks to the spiders like Netcaster Spider and Mammoth Spider. And they've got good blockers, you know, incidental life gain floating around as soon as a green deck gets pulse of marasa and casts it once it's really hard for an aggro deck to punch through that six life gain and heaven forbid you get to do it again with a scholar of the ages or something like that so they have the tools to make sure they don't lose to the aggro decks and then once they get to the late game they have these unbeatable synergy engines that just let you really go over the top yeah i 100 percent agree with this and this was a, a big turning point for me as well Um, you got a note here about flyers versus spiders. What do you want to talk about here? Yeah, I think the spiders win in this fight. So one of the question marks for me, at least coming out of the crash course was, does the prevalence of flying diminish flying? And I would say, no, I think flying is still great, but I think what the prevalence of flying does do is make two cards way better. And that's netcaster spider and mammoth spider. And I think the spiders win in that fight. There are times early on in the format before I really got on my hot trophy streak that I had some flyers and I'd just be staring at my opponent's netcaster spider and I didn't have removal for it. And then when I found the removal, I had to use removal on their netcaster spider to try to win the game. And then when they played their bomb, I didn't have removal anymore for their bomb. So I think the spiders are must answer threats for the flying decks. And I think that's really powerful to have those cards available to you at common in green. So if you're green, definitely prioritize Netcaster Spider. I think it's better. I want two copies of Netcaster Spider before I want my first Mammoth Spider. But I think that's sort of like the sweet spot is two Netcaster Spiders, one Mammoth Spider. And I would play more if I got them. And I think the other thing blue-white Flyers decks suffer from a little bit in the format that's not immediately apparent until you get a chance to play with it is they can't get a thing off the battlefield. Their removal is pacifism and sleep paralysis. So if you're blue-white and your opponent plays Risen Reef, which is the one blue-green 1-1 that's absolutely busted in limited and constructed where when an element ET... When an elemental ETBs, you look at the top card of your library, and if it's a land, you can ramp with it. And if it's not a land, you just draw the card. So if your opponent plays that, blue-white doesn't have a way to get it off the battlefield short of Vial of Dragonfire, which is just the most clunky way on the planet to remove a thing. You pay two for the artifact, then pay two, tap, sack it. But that's not also not immediately apparent if you haven't played with blue-white. And I think that's a big knock against the deck. Yeah, that all makes total sense to me. This next bullet point you have is very near and dear to my heart. The importance of fixing and ramp. What are we talking about here? Yeah, so I think base green is the best at this. And I think the green decks really frequently want to be base blue green or base green black and splash a lot of powerful synergy cards. So maybe you splash some red when you're blue green to get like this sweet teamer elementals brew going on. Or maybe when you're blue green, you splash a soul salvage so that you can loop your scholar of the ages. But I think the main enablers for this are Gift of Paradise, which is the two to green enchantment that double fixes you and ramps you, and Leafkin Druid. And especially Leafkin Druid, I think not many of us gave much credit to tapping for double green when you have four creatures, but that's super real because there are so many good seven drops to ramp into that are just absolutely game-breaking cards. So 
How highly are you picking dual lands in this format? Because I've had made a shift kind of recently, and I'm, I'm wondering if, if that lines up with anything that, that you've been doing. I've been picking them fairly highly if they have blue, black, or green attached to them. I don't care about them quite as much if they have red or white on them, but I do think I'm picking them over most things that aren't the top commons in their colors. Yeah, this was a big level up for me in my past few drafts was realizing that there's just such a steep drop off from like the commons that you're happy to play and the commons that you don't care at all about. And you sort of mentioned this in one of your early tweets. You're like, the rest is just filler. Like the rest is interchangeable. It's just creatures bashing against each other and who has more cards at the end of all of that. And so when things don't really matter when like two mana two twos with like minor upsides don't really matter like Morland Inquisitor and honestly like a card like Blood Burglar that's the two two with lifelink on your turn I was like oh this is Bishop Soldier just like reprinted but it's just not exciting to me in this format because I don't care about my opponent gaining you know two or four six life or whatever because eventually this card's just going to get blanked and not going to take over the game that's been my experience anyway so like there's so much filler replacement level stuff that when I see those green, blue, or black dual lands, I'm like, oh, this is good. I'll, I'll take that. That might enable a, a splash later. Maybe I get to do the Gift of Paradise multicolor green good stuff deck, which I think is very real in this format now. Um, I think the dual lands enable a lot more than they did, and this was a, a big shift for me from my evaluations of this format versus M19. Yeah, the duels are very good in this format, and I think you nailed it on the head there. The delta between the cards that matter and the cards that don't matter is huge. There's not a lot in the middle where you're like, eh, this is pretty good, you know, it's going to do some stuff in my deck. I found that either most of my cards do something, or they really are fillerish. Right, aside from white, like, once you're past, like, the top four or five commons in each color... The rest of them don't matter. Mm -hmm. I would agree 100%. And speaking of those powerful seven drops that you can ramp to, just quick rundown of the list here. There's sort of the trifecta at Uncommon, which is Scholar of the Ages. We've talked a bunch about that. Meteor Golem is back. Seven mana for the 3-3 when ETBs destroy target non-land permanent. That is so much better in this format than it's ever been because you can reliably get there to cast it. Yeah. And you can rebuy it and blink it and things like that. And then Howling Giant, five green green for the 5-5 five, five reach. When it ETBs, you get two 2-2 two, two wolf tokens. That is just raw stats. All three of those, I think, are very real win cons. And there's sort of a rare trifecta as well. Agent of Treachery, the control magic on a stick. Safara, the giant 7-7 seven, seven flying lifelink. And Dracoseth, the card from our round table, the red 7-7 seven, seven win the game <laughs> <laughs> it has a bunch of text that reads opponent cries yeah it's glory bringer on steroids is that really necessary no and all of those cards all of those seven drops i think are great ways to close out of the game and i don't think you necessarily need to play ramp to get there because if you're trying to draw cards and use things like divination as well that stuff helps you hit land drops too and cast those seven drops moving to the other end of the spectrum away from seven drops where are you at on on smallish creatures x ones like what do we need to be worrying about in terms of creatures with one toughness i think there's a lot of playable x ones running around and a lot of them are must kill so risen reef springs to mind we've talked about that and spectral sailor the single blue one one flash flyer that has the activated ability three and a blue draw card those have to come off the battlefield. And I think that makes cards like Mask of Immolation better because oftentimes Mask of Immolation is just going to trade for one of those type of cards and then leaves the equipment laying around, which is really powerful. And Heart Piercer Bow is a question mark for us. I don't think that's an embarrassing main deck card, and I do think it's a very good sideboard card. Yeah, I at the end of a draft, I really want to make sure that I have access to either a Heart Piercer Bow or a Retributive Wand out of my sideboard. Next thing on the notes here, I have DBM, which stands for Don't 
be mid-range. So I think you want to fall into one of the two extremes. I think you either going to be white tokens, raise the alarm pressure, or you want to be one of those Sultai grind late game decks. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And it sounds like you really should be doing the late game thing more often than not. Yep, that's my go-to plan if it's available. So I've also just got a quick list here of value engines, and we're not going to read these cards, but just to have them in the back of your mind that they're very powerful and all very good in these late game inevitability decks. So Looping with Scholar of the Ages, Risen Reef, Spectral Sailor, Moldervine Reclamation, Bag of Holding, Portal of Sanctuary, which needs a little bit of support, but really is powerful when it goes off. Blood-soaked altar that's the four black black enchantment that taps and makes five five demons when you discard a card, sacrifice a creature, and pay two life. Season of Growth is another build-around-ish type enchantment. One in a green, and when a creature ETBs, you get a scry one. And when you cast a spell that targets a creature, you get a draw card. That, I think, is very real and belongs in some number of green decks and is actively a good card in those decks. And then Golos, Tireless Pilgrim. This card is busted. Yeah. Five mana for an artifact, three, five. Activated ability, two, Wooburg. Exile the top three cards of your library, and you can pay them, and you can play them without paying their mana costs. So uh, a few cards that I want to talk about here in, in particular are Portal of Sanctuary and Blood-Soaked Altar, two cards that I thought, again, in the set review, were just looked way too slow to me. Um, there is enough ETB stuff for Portal of Sanctuary to be good, and it doesn't really even need to be a lot. Like, I, I've just, rebuying a Cloud Kin Seer is just really strong. So there's not a lot of work that goes into making this card feel worth it. And God forbid your opponent's playing pacifism or sleep paralysis on your creatures and it's just more value for you. And Blood-Soaked Altar is a card that I agree also takes more setup than perhaps you you may need in deck building, but I think it is a really strong card. And once it gets going, it's pretty ridiculous, which brings me to a card that is going to go into this overperformer section or maybe not. If I'm going to see if you'll let it. But the Sanitarium Skeleton has felt just like kind of like it gets there on multiple axes. Every time I've played against Blood-Soaked Altar, my opponent has had Skeleton in their deck either to sacrifice it to it or to discard it, so that mitigates that cost. And it pairing with, like, you want to run some Bone Splinters? Great. You want to mill yourself with Vulture? Great. You want to run the Mask of Immolation? Great. Yeah, I like Sanitarium Skeleton as a card. It's awkward because you almost want multiple of them, but yeah. drawing multiple of them is so bad that you can yeah. only really afford to put one in your deck. But when you hit that and you hit the synergies with it, I think it's real. Was it you I was watching where your opponent had a pattern matcher and three Sanitarium Skeletons in play? That was me, yes. <laughs> your opponent went deep there. They did go deep and they did not win that game. Yikes. So speaking of overperformers, first on the list is Raise the Alarm, one in a white instant, make two one one white soldier tokens. I think this is the key to the white decks. I think it makes the white tokens decks really good. I mean, obviously not white blue, but white black, white green, and maybe white red. I'm still got a, a little fuzzy on what white red is trying to do. Uh, but white green and white black, I think Raise the Alarm is absolutely outstanding in those decks and really makes them tick. The fact that there's no trumpet blast or anything makes me it's just so hard for me to be like, yeah, and it's also white red could be go wide. Like, I just don't know what that color pair is trying to do. Yep. Next on the list is Winged Words, two and a blue for the divination. Divination's great in this format. Winged Words is great. Flying is great. Rinse and repeat. Uh, Kelden Raider as the two red red four three that enters the battlefield and you can rummage discard a card then draw a card just giving red access to that and destructive digger is pretty crazy at common that it gets two cards that help to get sort of card advantage ish or just sort of like card sculpting hand sculpting that sort of thing uh, is really powerful in this format netcaster spider mammoth spider little brother big brother 
overpowered, blanks flyers decks, clogs the board up, everything you want to do in green. Ferocious pup. So I think we, you know, I wanted to grade this higher. You then brought me down. And I think we both sort of realized that this sort of has a place in probably white green and I think also green black as well. And I also saw my opponent uh, go off with this and portal of sanctuary the other day. They just like kept <laughs> wow. making tutus and I was like, you have really done this. Um, so ferocious pub is the two in a green zero one that brings along a two, two token with it. Yeah. I've been really impressed with that card. I like it even more in green black than I do in green white, but I think it's a home in both those decks. That's just because green black is better than green white. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's probably why I like it better. I like it better in the better deck, huh? I wonder why that is. <laughs> Next, we've got Gift of Paradise in the Dual Lands. As we talked about, fixing is great, and you should keep an eye out for it. I just really think the triple Gift of Paradise deck is alive and well, and it makes me so happy. It reminds me of Amonkhet. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Next up, we've got Angel of Vitality. This is two and white for a 2-2 two, two with flying. If you would gain life, you gain that much life plus one instead, and it gets plus two plus two as long as you have 25 or more life. This this feels like a bit of a game warping card to me. Like it's it's innocuous. Like your opponent maybe isn't going to get over 25 life, but there's always this like point in the game where you're like, oh, no, are they going to get there? I need to try and deal with this before it becomes a four four and then it's a four four and then you're sad. I think the first part of the the first clause of text is more relevant than the second part of the text. Like turning all your one life gains into twos is a big game. Get to attack with the uh, the chaplain, the one three lifelink, and then it just gains you two. Or the tap duels all of a sudden gain you two life. That's so much more than one. Oh, yeah. Portal of Sanctuary we just talked about. That card really gets there and also really gets there with the next thing on this list, which is Sage's Row Denizen. The Mill Dream is alive and well in this format. Two and a blue for the two, three. Whenever another blue creature enters the battlefield under your control, target player puts the top two cards of their library into their graveyard. That card is super real and looping it with Portal of Sanctuary is super real as well as just you want multiples of that anyway and then Pattern Matcher finds you multiple copies of it. Ooh. I think that's a really real deck. I was starting to draft it and then I chickened out on it midway through and I still sort of almost got there not trying for it. So I think that deck is really real. Oh, that, that's exciting. That's not surprising to me, though. I am less impressed by two threes in this format than I feel like I've been before, just because I don't think like two mana two twos are all that good. But yeah, the Sages or Denison deck seems real to me. Also, I think because everyone's trying to do all this value stuff, suddenly once you mill your opponent for 10, like they might just deck. Mm -hmm. Blood Soaked Altar we talked about, Might of the Masses. I think this is really clutch. I think in conjunction with Overcome, I think both these cards may be secret green, white, gold cards. But Might of the Masses being single green instant, target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn for each creature you control. And Overcome being a sort of overrun variant, that's three green green for the sorcery. Creatures you control get plus two plus two and gain trample until end of turn. I think these are real payoffs and are better. Certainly like Overcome, I think is probably better than it was in Hour of Devastation. Certainly, and I think Might of the Masses is probably better than even when we recently saw it in Guilds of Ravnica. Yeah, I think Might of the Masses has really impressed me. I faced a tough green white tokens deck in the finals yesterday. I was very impressed with both those cards. Moldervine Reclamations next on the list. Three black green for the enchantment. Whenever a creature you control dies, you gain a life draw card. We keep talking about it because it's really, really, really good. It's one of the ways to get late game value engines going that are just absolutely unbeatable. Destructive Digger is next. Two and a red for the three two. You can pay three tap sacrifice a land or an artifact to draw a card. And worth noting, combos super well with the Retributive Wand, the three mana artifact that you can pay three tap to deal one damage to any target. And when it's put into a graveyard from the battlefield, it deals five damage to any target. So the digger is a way to get that in your graveyard and draw a card, deal five to something, which is a huge wombo combo to look out for. 
And our last card on the list is Season of Growth. It's one and a green for the enchantment. When a creature ETBs under your control, scry one. And whenever you target a creature with a spell, you draw a card. This goes in a green tokens deck, I think, because you're going to have a lot of creatures entering the battlefield. The scries help mitigate flood. And then those green decks often want to play combat tricks like Might of the Masses or the Collect Them All plus three plus three. So you're just wanting and Rabid Bite is another one. Yeah, that's Rabid really Bite's sick with this. the so, real one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that almost. <laughs> the where you target your creature and then fight their creature and you draw a card, which is just absolutely busted, turns Rabid Bite into a two for one. And now we have to talk about the bad kids on the list here. What are the underperformers? First on the list is Sleep Paralysis, three and a blue, enchant a creature, tap enchant a creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. This is just clunky, doesn't get the creature off the battlefield. There's too many things with activated abilities to really be happy with this card. You'll run one copy, but I think you're running it begrudgingly. You have Brineborn Cutthroat on this list. Was this ever an overperformer? Like I liked it. I it, It's an underperformer for me. I was fairly high on it, but then I just realized creature counts are really high in this format. I oftentimes have 16, 17, 18, 19 creatures in some of my decks, and you just really don't get there. There's not really a blue draw-go type deck where you're operating with a bunch of instants, so I, I for some reason thought that was a good card, and it is not. Right, so this is the two-mana 2-1 two that has flash, and then when you cast a spell on your opponent's turn, you put a plus-plus one counter on it, but there's no blue-red spells deck, so like... This just doesn't have a home. Like, it's fine if you just want to ambush your opponent's X2, but it's not great. Next on the list, I've got Frost Links, two and a blue for the 2-2 two -two when ETBs tap something and it doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. This is still a good card, but underperforming in the sense that it's not quite as good as I thought it was, mostly because the 2-2 two -two that it leaves around is not super relevant sometimes. So you really want to be a proactive, aggressively slanted deck before you're really happy with Frost Links. And I think if you're putting it in your controlling deck, you need to be aware that it's not really going to necessarily perform. But it also does have elemental synergies yeah. that go in that deck. So it does some things, but it's not just generically jam it into every deck and it's going to be great in every deck. Yeah, I 100% agree. Like the last time we saw this card, I feel like it was like the best blue common and maybe the best common. It was just so ridiculous. And it, that that is not the case now. The protection creatures you have on here. So all of the uncommons, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't think those are great main deck inclusions. I think some of them are OK. You can get away with it, like the red one a little more and the white one. And even I found bringing them out of the sideboard, they're annoying but only if they line up well against your opponent's threats and your opponents are going to have two color decks. They haven't been quite as oppressive as I thought they were going to be, but the real ones have been the color hosers. Those have been backbreaking when your opponent gets to side those in and use them as good removal spells. Even if you think about the black beetle that has pro green, like if your opponent has the the crasher, the four, three for three and a green with trample that gives all your elementals trample, like it's just not doing anything. So even when you bring them in, they may not do exactly the thing that you want. Right. Renowned weaponsmith. Also Say it ain't so. Lords of Limited preview card. Although, actually, maybe that's not even you true. You played it yesterday just to ramp to Meteor Golems, right? I, I did. I'm taking it off the underperformers list. I don't know why I put it on here. I was thinking that the package of those three cards is not great, but there's times it's going to do stuff. And I think that package really excels in blue-white decks because then you can go get Vial of Dragonfire and all of a sudden your blue-white deck has a way to kill something. That card's fine. It's just, it's just fine. It's not great, not bad. You'll play it sometimes. Diamond Knight is next. This is the three mana artifact. It's a one one. When it comes into play, you choose a color, and whenever you cast a spell of that color, you put a plus minus one counter on it. This is just too slow. It's too small. It takes too much effort. Like you really need to be a strong base color for it to even like be remotely close to good. I just don't like this card at all. Yep, me either. 
Next on the list, speaking of cards I don't like at all, Moat Piranhas. One blue for the 3-3 with Defender. This card is miserable. It looks like you want to put it in your defensive deck. Yes. The fact that it the fact that it can't attack is a real liability, and the fact that it can't interact with flyers is a real liability as well, because a lot of the good aggressive decks are clocking you with flyers. I just am hoping to never put Moat Piranhas in my deck ever again. I 100% agree, and this was one of the cards that I think I was like overvaluing at the start of the format and have... Uh, definitely corrected. Uh, Blood Burglar we talked about. This is uh, the one in a black 2-2 that has lifelink on your turn. Just not a card I'm excited to play. And Warden of Evos Isle I have on here as well. This is two in a blue for a 2-2 flyer that makes all of your other flyers cost one less. This just like isn't really what you want to do. It doesn't line up with the good flyers in the format, namely the Griffin uh, Protector. That's the 2-3 flyer that grows whenever you cast a creature. And like the flyers aren't expensive. Like the nuttiest thing you can do is play this on turn three and then maybe play like two flyers on turn four or something or on turn five. Or it ramps you into Boreal Elemental or Air Elemental. Yeah, but even that, like that's got to be the exact best thing it does. I just think the two, two flyer body really matches up poorly in this format. I agree. I've got just a quick list of cards you aren't picking highly enough. We're not going to read these because we've read them throughout the course of the episode, but Mask of Immolation, Scholar of the Ages, Blood for Bones, Pulse of Marasa, Bag of Holding, Golos Tireless Pilgrim. If you're not picking those cards super highly, you're not picking them highly enough. They're all very, very, very good. And let's uh, give folks an idea of where we're at with uh, deck tier rankings. So deck tiers for me, the Sultai decks are tier one, blue, green, green, black, blue, black in tier two. And I could see some of the tier twos and threes shifting around blue, white, black, white, blue, red, red, green, green, white, all in tier two. And then tier three, red, black, and red, white. And how about colors overall? Number one, blue, number two, green, but those are very close to each other. And I could see green taking the top spot by the end of the format, except blue pairs so well with all the other colors. So that's kind of getting the nod. And both of them have very, very, very deep commons. Significant gap past blue and green in the one and two slots. Black in the number three slot, red in the four slot, and then a significant gap again somehow, and white way in last place. Not close. And I feel like we got kind of close in week one. We usually don't do the common re-rankings until week two. But even with my shaky feeling on the format or perhaps poor performance so far, I feel pretty in line with this re-rankings that we've got going on for you here. Um, Except for what's going on with white. What's going on with white here? So in the number one slot, I've got Raise the Alarm, which is a bit of a hot take. Court of Calls and I are on this. He, He convinced me. And I finally came around last night Mm -hmm. that raise the alarm just makes all of the white tokens decks and the white aggressive decks tick and pacifism just isn't going to do that. So the white white is so bad that you really need your white decks to have a plan and raise the alarm and going wide is that plan. Whereas pacifism is just a generic card where you're just going to get outclassed by what your opponent's Sultai decks are doing. So raise the alarm lets you make a plan and make a deck and have a game plan that's going to actually win you the game and makes a lot of other cards in the format around it better. Makes Griffin Protector better. Makes Might of the Masses better. Makes that derpy five mana white common that's a 2-2 that gets plus one plus one counters equal to the number of creatures you control better. There's so many cards in the tokens decks that it pulls up in value around it that I think it's the number one white common in green, white and white, black, and maybe pacifism is better in blue, white. And I'm still not sure about white, red, but I think those are number one and number two. I've got raise the alarm one pacifism two, griffin protector in third. That's the three and a white two, three flyer that gets plus one plus one when a creature ETBs. And honorable mention number four, Dawning Angel, four and a white for the 3-2 flyer. When it ETBs, you gain four life. 
Yeah, I'm in for all of that. Moving on to blue, we've got Cloudkins here at number one. We've got Winged Words. Ben, do you like that? It's a little fancy. I do. It's very British. <laughs> uh, we got Winged Words at number two. This is Ben's hot take, and I am not far behind here with this. Uh, number three, Frost Links. And number four, honorable mention, Boreal Elemental. So we had an interesting uh, text back and forth earlier this week uh, while I was drafting a deck, and I had... I'd taken Vivian, number one, a Leafkin Druid, number two, and then I had the choice between Cloudkin Seer or Air Elemental as my third pick. And I took Cloudkin Seer and we were talking about it. And one of the things that I thought about, I was like, yeah, Air Elemental is great, but how much better than Boreal Elemental is it? I mean, it's better, but not a lot better. I mean, I, I do think Cloudkin Seer is the right pick there after discussing it with you. And then we talked about it in Discord as well. Cloudkin Seer is just busted in half. And I think it's sort of like, it's a format warping card. I mean, a little spoiler alert. You and I have this as the best common in the set overall over murder. Um, and I think it just totally warps why the Sultai decks are the best decks in the format because you have this absurdly powerful two for one at common. That has synergy. It makes yeah. winged words better. It makes every card that says elemental on it better. It's it's so synergistic and what it's did you so say? Did you say rawly powerful. Say winged words? What What is that card? <laughs> excuse me winged words Thou, oh yes yes i would totally agree yes thank you <laughs> moving on to black in the number three slot we've got a tie here between audacious thief and gorging vulture depending on what your deck's trying to do if you're a graveyard synergy deck at all i think gorging vulture might go up in value over the audacious thief if you're more of a pressuring black deck audacious thief is certainly where you want to be number two slot agonizing siphon and the number one slot murder in red, we've got Removal is King, Shock number one, Chandra's Outrage number two, Pack Mastiff, one of the best two drops in the format at number three, and honorable mention to Red's card filtering engine, Kelden Raider. In green, very close at number one and number two, number one, Rabid Bite, number two, Leafkin Druid. A lot of very good players in the Discord whose opinions I respect have Leafkin Druid number one and Rabid Bite number two. So very close, both of those very powerful. Number three, Silverback Shaman, three green green for the five four trample when it dies, draw a card. And honorable mention, Netcaster Spider, two and a green for that two three reach. And when it blocks creature with flying, it gets plus two plus O. And top commons overall go bottom up here. Number six in our honorable mentions, we've got Shock and Chandra's Outrage tied. Number five, Winged Words. Number four, Leafkin Druid. Number three, Rabid Bite. Number two, Murder. And number one, Cloudkin Seer. Card is ridiculous. And I, I, I do stand by it being sort of format warping. Like that's why two for ones are so important. That's why Winged Words is in our top five commons right now. Yeah. Loving this format so far. It feels very deep for me for a core set. And I think I'm I think it's gonna have legs. I think there's a lot of sweet things to do. I still have not explored any of the white token stuff, mostly because I've been crushing people that don't know how to draft Sultai yet. And <laughs> it feels real good so far i think there's a lot of sweet build arounds a lot of sweet synergy and the removal being good and at common feels like you've really got the tools to do what you want to do to try to win draft in and draft out with the commons and uncommons yeah i really appreciate you putting this all together for us and i appreciate getting to, to pick your brain here and try and uh try and get myself steady on this format in week number two yeah was a blast as usual 
Thank you to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're on both of those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Angel of Vitality, this is two and a white for a 2-2 with flying. Whenever you gain life, you gain one more. And my God, I can never, ever. I'm just like, okay, uh, what is this? Uh, Okay, Angel of Vitality. (laughs) Two and a blue for the 2-3. And whenever another blue creature enters the battlefield under your control, target player puts the top two cards of their graveyard into their library. Nope. That's super real with, no? You said graveyard into library. Oh, what? (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Judge.